Chapter 25 of A Battle for Right. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Annie Mars. A Battle for Right by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 25 Doubts. There was more squabbling over the division of the booty, and much more champagne was disposed of before an agreement was reached. But at last, with a grudging look, Loudon Powers brought out a leather wallet and slowly counted out ten hundred-dollar bills to each of his companions. "'There you are,' he grunted. "'But it is a foolish thing to draw all the capital out of a business before the time comes to wind it up. "'I'm going to bed. It's early. Not much after eleven, but I'm tired. "'I have to go down to New York tomorrow to see how things are at the office.' "'Hear that, Chief?' whispered Chick. "'Of course I do.' Well, he may be going to make a getaway. He won't succeed. How do you know? Patsy Garvin will be with you, was the chief's short reply. Now keep still and watch. Loudon Powers staggered to his feet, and Carter realized for the first time how drunk he was. I'll have to get some help to find my way to the elevator, he mumbled. What kind of wine was that anyhow, Howard? You'll have to ask my father if you know where he is, laughed Howard Millmarsh. He bought it. "'Good for the old man,' squealed Andrew Lampton. "'I'll say, it's darned a good booze. "'I wish I never had to drink anything worse. "'Whee! Come on, old top. "'We'll find the elevator.' "'He lurched over to Loudon Powers, "'and the two worthies reeled out of the room "'and across the hall to the elevator, "'which was operated by an electric button by the passenger. "'I doubt they will be able to get upstairs in that,' muttered Chick. "'I wish we could sail in and knock their heads together.' "'Why?' We'd make such a racket that somebody might tell the actual truth in the confusion. I can't believe that fellow sitting at the table is the real Howard Milmarsh. Neither can I, Chick, but he has possession, and he could not have got that if he had not convinced the lawyers. And Johnson, Robertson, and Judkins are not easily convinced. That guy down there at the table is a blackguard. The real Howard Milmarsh never behaved that way, did he? Nick was thoughtful for a few moments and he did not answer until he saw the man in the dining room reach down into the pail on the floor at his side, in which was still an unopened bottle of champagne, and take out a large piece of ice which he pressed to his forehead. I have seen the real Howard Milmarsh do just what this fellow is doing now. Of course, that does not prove that they are the same person, but is an indication. I have not quite made up my mind yet. For another fifteen minutes, the young man at the table sat there holding ice to his forehead. Occasionally, he drank some water from the carafe on the table. At last, he got up and walked the length of the room and back, as if to test his ability to do it without staggering. He was fairly successful, and uttered a mirthless laugh as he dropped again into the seat. The blackguards, he burst out suddenly, the infernal low-bred rascals. They can't even be decent crooks. This game they've played on the poor devils who are paying for that swampland is worse than stealing the pennies from a blind man's dog. He took from a pocket the ten hundred dollar notes and gazed at them thoughtfully. For two cents I'd put a match to these. I may not be a saint, but by the bull of Bashan I was never a robber of widows and orphans, at least not when I knew it. He reached over to the silver matchbox on the table and savagely struck a light. He held the lighted match till it burned up brightly, and then, with the notes in his left hand and the match in his right, laughed again in the hollow way he had before. Look, 
whispered Chick excitedly. That tub is going to burn up a thousand dollars. But he didn't do it. Just as he was about to touch the flame to the money, he shook his head and with another dry chuckle, blew out the match and dropped it in an ashtray. No, I won't, he mumbled. What would be the use of that? The people who paid it wouldn't get it. Besides, if those two scoundrels have a thousand apiece, why shouldn't I? And I need cash. This business of having a big house with servants and everything else, but no money, isn't the kind of thing I like. I suppose there'll be hail Columbia when it comes time to pay these servants, to say nothing of the butcher and the grocery man and all the rest of the tradesmen. He was about to pour himself out another glass of champagne, but changed his mind and took some water from the carafe instead. It looked as if he were trying to sober up. Well, I'll go to bed, he exclaimed after another pause, during which he seemed to be trying to collect his thoughts in some sort of orderly array. And in the morning, I'll begin to have this affair brought to a focus. I'm tired of going on this way for nothing at all, just to please other people. He got up from his chair and made his way out of the room, with much better grace than had the other two men. In a moment or two, a man in livery, who seemed to have been waiting somewhere close by until the convivial trio should disappear, came into the room and began to clear away the remnants of the feast, as well as the glasses and other paraphernalia that spoke of carouse. He had not proceeded far into his work when another man, dressed just like him, also stole into the room and silently assisted the first. When they had taken everything out of sight, including the tablecloth, leaving the handsome mahogany table with its highly polished surface glittering in the light of the chandelier, one of the men solemnly addressed the other. What do you think of it, Dobbs? Don't you know? How does it strike you, Kelly? I'll tell you better at the end of the month. Ah, I could tell you now if I wanted, blurted out Dobbs. Better not. Don't give yourself away, interrupted Kelly. Well, I say that if I don't get my wages the day they're due, it will be a lawyer for mine. That's different, the same here. Then you think it is? I'm not saying. Punk? Nothing doing. Hmm, let's get out. There's some good bottled beer downstairs. I'm with you, responded Kelly with alacrity. When they'd gone out of the room, Chick again turned to his chief with a grin. Isn't this the queerest joint you've ever struck, chief? It seems so. At the same time, I have more serious work here than to speculate on the intentions of footmen, or even the men who have the privilege of drinking champagne ordered by my old friend, the late Howard Milmarsh. I made him a promise the last time I saw him alive, and I'm going to keep my word. Follow me, and I'll show you something about this house that you may regard as curious. End of chapter 25 Recording by Annie Mars